Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So last week we uh, we continue, we were going through James and and uh, this week is kind of a part two from last week. You know, it's interesting. I was I was listening to to a guy this week and he was talking about how how often we feel like we need and in really how often we do tend to need interpretation or commentary on things. Um, sometimes it's like our own conversation with people. Sometimes we need like further information to understand what each other is saying. Um, but then there's times where things are just so clear, so practical, sometimes even just so candid that maybe we look for other things to help interpret, even though it's just very clear and obvious right there. And I think that's so much what the book of James is like because James is just so practical for everyday living in God's kingdom, and it hits us really hard where we are. So last week, we actually, uh, in James chapter four, we looked at how our future, our plans, the things that we are looking forward to, how our future really does need to be surrendered and entrusted to Jesus. And now this week, it's almost like a part two in a very similar vein. It's really about our present right now that needs to be surrendered and entrusted to Jesus. We're gonna be getting into James chapter five, verses one through six, so you can turn there if you have a Bible. And um, really this morning is a lot about dependence. Um, we depend on various things. And, and you know, a lot of us maybe kind of say, hey, I think I'm independent. But in all honesty, we are all very much dependent on various things. And, and really the great struggle that we in our human condition have is that, that, that the Bible is very clear on where I do, our dependence needs to be on. It needs to be on Jesus Christ. But there are so many things in this world that vie for our loyalty and our dependence on those things. In fact, it's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a little bit about our treasure. And when we hear the word treasure, we tend to think of treasure being, at least for me, and maybe even in our culture, we think of treasure as material things, money. Um, I mean, we get that image of like a pirate's treasure chest. And, and so we kind of get that image of treasure. But when Jesus talks about where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And he says, as talking about earthly treasure and in, in particular money, he says, um, you can't serve God and money at the same time. He says that you have to make a choice. You can't have divided loyalty. You have to surrender to one master. And so James being really much, very much, as, as we've talked about this through the weeks, James being very much this, this Jewish man who was steeped in the Old Testament Jewish law uh, in a good way, and then also being the half-brother of Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, James recognizing who Jesus is and then really the rest of his life being just immersed in the teachings of Jesus. And so we see so much of Jesus' teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount, coming out in the book of James. And, and so this morning, really, James, the bottom line this morning is this. Where is our dependence? What are we depending on for our lives? 
And so as we get into this, uh, James chapter five, starting in verse one, James says this, he says, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. That's pretty, pretty like intense as we get out of the gate in chapter five. It's pretty intense. James isn't messing around with words, but it's interesting because the statement that he makes here is a statement that's made to people who follow Christ about people who typically don't follow Christ. Now, he's not saying that everyone in the church that he's writing this letter to behaves this way, but he gives a warning because of the way that typical, the typical wealthy in the first century behaved and acted in their activities, what they did. He's making a statement about what that, that looked like to a group of people who are called to follow Jesus. And, and, and maybe some of them see wealth this way. But, but, but I think what James is doing here is, is sometimes Jesus' followers don't look much different from those who don't follow Jesus. Sometimes when it comes to our hearts, and maybe not our behavior, maybe not the overtness of that, but sometimes our hearts are not that different from those who don't follow Jesus. The desires that our hearts have, the affections that our hearts are on, and where we place our dependence and our trust in our lifetimes. And so really the principle that James starts with out of the gate is this, that the pursuit of wealth will always end in misery. The pursuit of wealth will always end in misery. Uh, he kind of qualifies that by, by recognizing that, that everything in our world that is materials, possessions, wealth, all of that is very uncertain. It's uncertain, and I guess maybe uncertain is, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it because there is a certainty that all of it dissipates and goes away and deteriorates. And so when we put our dependence into wealth or materials, then there is an uncertainty about our, our, our future. And, and I wanna kind of just pause here for a second. And, and it's easy to talk about wealth. And again, in our country and in our context, we, I don't know where your mind goes, but it's, we've inflated our sense of wealth. And so most of us probably in this room would say, yeah, I'm not wealthy. I mean, I do okay, I'm, 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 I have what I need, but I'm not wealthy. Well, when James talks about those who have, there was such a, such a significant difference between those who did and those who didn't in the first century that really, as we walk through this, I want you to think of wealth as a person who has what they need and does not go without. Okay, I want it for, for our purposes as we walk through this, because I think it makes more sense to us, especially where we are, as opposed to the people that James was talking to, we are wealthy if we are characterized as a person who has what we need and does not go without. Um, so so that, that probably does generally include everyone in this room, everyone who's watching online. I mean, if you're watching online, then <laughs> there's a degree of wealth there. 
And again, we may not say, well, I'm not, you know, 1% of, 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 you know, those in America who have all of this. Well, true, but James would probably say you are a person of means if you have what you need and you don't go without. And, and so here's the thing about wealth. Wealth is one of the greatest challengers to intimacy with Jesus. Wealth is one of the greatest challengers. Now, James is not saying, I want to make sure we're clear, James is not saying that having wealth is wrong. But wealth is a, a very significant challenger to intimacy with Jesus. Be, and here's why. Wealth creates and sustains the illusion that I am independent. Wealth creates and sustains the illusion that I am independent. Here's, here's the thing. If, if you are, if you, if you struggle to make ends meet, and if maybe there's a time in your life that, that you, you actually were struggling of saying, hey, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills and also do this and all of these things, and there's a struggle, chances are, you felt stressed, you felt pressure, and if you're a Jesus follower, you probably took that to Jesus. That probably was a common area of prayer. But when, maybe another point in life where you're not struggling to make ends meet, and you have the, uh, the, the privilege to be able to kind of make decisions about what you're gonna do and, 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 and vacations and different things like that, chances are that you're not stressed as much and you're not as concerned about what that looks and you feel pretty independent and chances are good just knowing human nature, you probably prayed less to Jesus about those things. And that's just part of our nature because wealth, again, it gives us this illusion that, hey, I'm independent and I'm safe. Now, what we know about wealth and materials and possessions and all that is it can disappear in a heartbeat. It can be completely gone. One minute we think we're okay, we think we're stable, we think we're secure, and another minute everything's gone. And it's not even necessarily because we made bad decisions or poor decisions or things like that. It, it, it often is just part of the uncontrollable nature of the world that we live in. And, 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 James, and James does kind of uh, talk about this. In fact, it's interesting because some of the language here in ver chapter five uh, mirrors what he says in verse four. Notice in, in, in verse one, he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. There's a character characterization of the attitude of the people that James is talking about. And we get that from the, the last chapter in chapter four, verses eight through 10, where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's this thing that he says in chapter four when he talks about drawing near to God, purifying our hearts, and being double-minded, and really having a divided heart. And he says, uses the same things, mourn and weep. And he says, you need to humble yourselves so that God can exalt you. And there's something about having enough that opens or cracks the door to pride in our lives. And so there's, there's a connection here. You see, James qualifies what he says about the misery of chasing wealth by saying in, in verse two, 
really, really clearly, he says, uh, your riches, and this is the nature of possessions. This is the nature of money, is that it's subject to rot. The things that we wear are subject to deterioration. He says, your garments are moth-eaten. He says, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. In, in other words, it's saying, it will eat away at you. All this stuff that you've worked so hard to accumulate is going to go away. I mean, I mean it's like he, he says your, your clothing is moth-eaten. I don't even know if it takes moth. How many of you like have a shirt that you've had forever and it's just the perfect shirt and it's so comfortable, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that it is not, it is not aged well. And maybe your spouse is kind of like, when are we going to throw it away? And you're kind of like, we are not doing anything about this. Um, if I choose to throw this away, I will throw this away, but it's not going anywhere. And you know, you have kind of that conversation and they're like, kind of like, well, you can't wear this out. I don't even like you wearing this around the house. But you know, it's that thing that, but, but you know, eventually it's, it's, it's probably gonna end up in a, in a trash heap somewhere or just disappeared because either it disintegrated or your spouse did something nefarious. Um, but, but that's just the nature of things. It's all things do that. All things end up that way. And, and he says, it just, it's like it burns us up because we've, we've worked so hard. It's kind of like all the things we worked so hard to accumulate end up broken or rotted or moth-eaten. That we work 50, 40 or 50 years over our lifetime going after having enough or getting more all to end up with just a mere shadow of, of what we started with. And what James is saying, again, it's not that wealth or the accumulation of things is wrong, but when we place our assurance in things or wealth, we are guaranteed to have misery. It just is. That's how things work. And, and furthermore, because wealth is the foundation of survival and influence in the human condition, it naturally will compete with God for our hearts and wills. Again, Jesus says you can't serve both. He says you have to make a choice. We can only surrender to one. And, 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 and the, the reality is that how we use our treasure and what we accumulate from that treasure will convict us or acquit us in our behavior as kingdom citizens. How we use what we accumulate. Again, accumulation isn't wrong, isn't sinful, but what we do with our accumulation, God sees and he recognizes. And, and, so, and so he says He says this, he says, you have laid up treasure in these last days. Uh, another way to, to, I mean, say that maybe in a, in a more culturally uh, present way is, is this idea of, he says, you've hoarded things, you've, you've hoarded things. And, and we, have a, we have a great understanding of hoarding now because of the great toilet paper crisis of 2020. Um, we know what that looks like. Um, last year, or in 2020, when uh, one, of the, one of the great blessings of the pandemic um, for our family was that all five of us were home at a time when um, we would have never imagined that, that we would experience this kind of season in our home because our kids are growing up and, 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 and pursuing things. And, and so we, all five of us were home and so on Thursdays, we developed this family practice 
of after we ate dinner on Thursday evenings, we would wait a little bit and then we would all get our bicycles and we would ride the canal to Tully Road and then we would ride on Tully over to Mr. T's and we would all get donuts and then we would ride back uh, on Tully to Hetch Hetchy Trail, uh, the, the bike path, and we would ride that to Carver and then ride back home. And uh, one night as we were riding home on a Thursday, uh, one of the houses uh, on Carver Road had its two-car garage door open. And riding by, looking at that garage, the two-car garage literally was full of Costco toilet paper. Like, I don't think I've ever seen more toilet paper in one place like that. But like their entire garage was packed full of toilet paper. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I either, I'm assuming it's because they were afraid of the pandemic. And otherwise, they have a serious problem. But, 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 but like, I, it's just this reality that they had all this toilet paper and either they were getting rich off of it or they were just ready, they were like in it for the long haul. And, and as I kind of judged them, um, later, I was reminded of a, an issue in my marriage. Um, actually, I think an issue where Sherry's wrong and I'm right. But um, when we have traveled and we go to motels or hotels, um, I always take the travel soap from the rooms because I paid for the room and I feel like we get those soaps. And I don't know, I have a drawer. Some people have like a junk drawer. It's a drawer where everything goes that you don't know what you're gonna use it for, but for some reason you can't throw it away and it just becomes more and more. I have a travel soap drawer. I have various, various types of travel soap, probably over 50 soaps that I have accumulated over time that in the event that there is a travel soap crisis, I will be set and you will all be sad. Actually, Sherry will be sad because I'm not letting her use my travel soap because she has major issues with my travel soap drawer. Um, <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, we could, you could, I mean, I don't have a response, actually. <laughs> it's just, but, but, but I don't know why I collect those. I don't know why I have those. Um, but, but I do feel like if there, if honestly there is ever a crisis, I am your hookup. Um, and, 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 I, and I think, and, and the reality is that, that while that's kind of funny, um, what's the point? <laughs> what is the point of, of, of collecting that? And, and so sometimes when we look at our lives and we see a pattern of gathering, of accumulation, and the less uh, attractive term, hoarding, it, it's a good indication that there's some areas in our life that maybe aren't surrendered to Jesus. Now, hoarding is not just a house full of junk like you see on the TV show Hoarders where, you know, you've got stuff from floor to ceiling and maybe narrow paths through the house. Sure, that's extreme, but, but hoarding is less than that. It's accumulating things to protect yourself and not being generous with those things. Hoarding is all, there's not all, there's also, it's not, it's not the idea of, of being a wise steward of the resources and the blessings that God's given you. The key here is that there's a huge thread of loving others as evidence of loving Jesus and James and throughout the entire Bible. It's really clear biblically that if you, if you, if you say you love Jesus, yet you don't do things that that communicate loving your neighbor and others around you, then you really don't love Jesus because you can't love 
Jesus who you haven't seen and love your neighbor who you have. And that's just what the Bible says. And so there's this issue of loving others. And so really the problem is that wealth is uncertain. You can't control it. But when we do accumulate things, it's okay, but why are we accumulating things? Are we accumulating them to protect ourselves or are we accumulating for generosity and looking to meet the needs of others? You see, again, God is not against wealth. What he is against is a divided heart. God wants our whole heart. And again, wealth, because of our human nature, because of sin, is one of the primary challenges to our heart's loyalty. And so there's some red flags that we can, kind of red flag questions that we can ask ourselves as we determine, hey, is my dependence on God or is something else like wealth? And so the first red flag question I would ask is, is this, what is the purpose of my accumulation? What is the purpose of my accumulation? Why am I accumulating? Why am I storing up treasures? What's the purpose of that? Do those things give me security, which suggests my dependence is on them? Or am I doing that out of a trust in God, knowing that God is blessing me in order to strategically use me in his kingdom for blessing and generosity? So moving on to verse four. James continues and he says this, he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Not only is dependence on wealth uncertain, but dependence on wealth is also unjust. Here's the, here's, here's the reason I say that. Regardless of the economic system in any nation, regardless of our economics, God calls his people to care for one another, especially the vulnerable, and there are vulnerable in every single economy. In the Old Testament, God called those who had land and who owned fields to leave the corners unharvested, specifically for those who were poor and vulnerable. That was what God called his people to do. And, and, and so there's a reality in, in that, that in any economic system, no matter what kind of things are in place to help with poverty or vulnerability, there will always be people who are poor and vulnerable. And some of them, it's by choice, by choices, maybe poor choices they've made. Others, it's part of the uncertainty of life. But that happens. Just like some people have great wealth and it's not because they're great or smart people. They just happened upon something at the right time in the right moment. Doesn't mean they're good or bad, but, but there's a reality. And, and so unfortunately, in all human economic systems, whether capitalism or socialism or whatever economic system, power and influence their natural course is at an endpoint of oppression and injustice. It just is. Even the mechanisms created within those systems to help, 
to help protect and fight for those who are vulnerable, those end up, those end up being, being oppressive systems <laughs> because we live in a world of sin, because we live in the, in, in the human condition and there's a reality that those things are corrupt because they're run by human beings. That's the problem. It's, it's the human influence that is the problem. In, in any life not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, ebbs and flows in that direction. It, it's how things work. This is how things work apart from the total surrender to Jesus and obedience to kingdom behavior. Even those who are redeemed by Jesus, who make up the church, are still subject and prone to this human condition of, of moving to a place where I benefit even if it hurts others. And, 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 so, and so we have to recognize that's the world we live in. And James warns and he says, look, the, the, the practice in the day was that these people who had land and, and owned things, they would, they would take advantage of the workers. And that's been true since the beginning of of, of human history after the fall, that's just how, that's the temptation that we have. Oftentimes the easiest or quickest path to wealth is through taking advantage of someone else. And again, this can be done from any position. Those who don't have can take advantage of those who have. Those who have can take advantage of those who don't have. It just seems more obvious from those who have to those who don't. You see, James calls believers, and the Bible calls those who follow Jesus to earn rightly, use justly, and gain with integrity. The problem is that without complete surrender to the Holy Spirit, our character is often not strong enough to actually live this out. Earn rightly. We are called to work for a living. Jesus calls us to work, work righteously, work hard for what we have. Yet our culture tells us, hey, work if you have to, but, but free is best. Work if you have to, but don't work if you can get something more without working. And that is a really huge temptation. How, how much does free play on the, the theater of our mind when we're going to get something? If I can get something for free, I'm going for it. Or if I can get something without consequences, great. But we're taught as Jesus followers and kingdom citizens to earn rightly. And then we're also called to, earn, to, to use justly, to use what we have in a just way which takes into consideration God's posture of generosity and God's posture of care. And it's interesting because when I think about using what I have earned justly, that is often dependent on the behavior of the other people, isn't it? At least for me, it tends to be. Like I'll, I'll do something good or generous, but if you behave in a way that is undeserving, or threatening to me, then I will not be generous to you, which I'm so glad God doesn't think that way because if God thought in the, in the, in the, in the context of 
I will generously give my grace and forgiveness to you if you deserve it, then I am in a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> and so I'm glad that's not how God acts towards us, yet it's so easy for me to sometimes act that way toward others. And then he says gain with, and then there's this idea of gaining with integrity, which he's talking about right here. In other words, do my gains come at the expense or cost of other people's abuse? So often, what we gain is at the cost of another person. And, and even as, as, as Christians, how often do we hear stories about someone who is seen as a Christian, someone who's associated with the church, who's done something to gain and it comes out that they did it in a sketchy way. And, and then, and then the, the result is, man, Christians are no different than other people. Why, why even follow? I mean, if, if, if this person is actually even worse in their business than somebody who doesn't know Jesus, why would, why would, why would that matter? Why would I care about following Jesus? See, the red flag question number two is this, is what does my gain cost? What does my gain cost? Not just why am I accumulating, why do I accumulate, but what does my gain cost? Was I, was I generous or just with the, with the people or the group that I received this gain from? Or did I see an advantage and I took it for myself? And again, God is not against, and James is not speaking against gain. He's not speaking against wealth. What he's saying is that we need to be careful because sometimes we can be driven by the pursuit of wealth and gain and we can be dependent on that rather than being driven by the pursuit of God's kingdom and be dependent on God alone. In verse five, James says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgent. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. It's, it's, we need to remember that, that really, as far as human history goes, we are wealthy if we have our needs met and if we don't go without. And that really does characterize most of our experience. Maybe a season we were in need and we were dependent on the kindness of others, but for the most part, we are pretty much wealthy. And, 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 so, and so in our context, in our country, we have an inflated perception of wealth and of what need or going without means in the human condition. Just this week, I was, I was reading and I found, I found that the, Ameri the average American household spends $250 a month on dining out, $95 a month on visits to coffee shop, and $115 on co cosmetics. That's significant. That's wealthy. And that's the average American who does that. <laughs> Except for me, because I don't like coffee, so I don't spend $95 at coffee shops. I probably spend a lot of money on Mountain Dew, though, so let's not go there. Um, 
See, the problem isn't an issue of plenty. The problem is that our perception has been hijacked and it is difficult for us to see how indulgent we actually are. Our understanding of needs and enough has grown to epic proportions. You see, wealth and material possessions have a way of shaping our character, not just the presence of it, but the pursuit of it as well. And so James says this, he says, you have fattened your hearts. It's interesting that, it's kind of a weird statement, like a, a fat heart. I mean, when we, think of, when we think of like fattening something up, we don't think about the heart. But he says, you have fattened your hearts. It's interesting, there is, there is actually a condition called a fatty heart. I don't know if you've heard of that. But, but it is actually a condition in men and women, and it's actually apparently more common in women than men, but it, it is common in both men and women, and it is this pericardial fat that develops around your actual heart organ. And, and you, can't, you can't test for it. You can't do a blood test or something like that. It can only be seen in a CT scan. But if you have a fatty heart your chances of, of, of uh, heart failure or a significant, possibly life-threatening cardiac event exponentially increase if there is fat in your heart. I think it's super interesting that James says, you fattened your hearts, and he, and he looks at, and he says, he equates that with destruction. And it is interesting how in James and throughout the, the biblical narrative, there is this constant coming back to pure hearts. In, in Psalm chapter 25 or 24, in verse three through six, it says this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. In Matthew 5, 8, in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so I think maybe the, the question for us is, is, do we have fat hearts or do we have pure hearts? And honestly, Wealth is a huge challenge and material and the pursuit of those things is a huge challenge to that. The idea of purity is that there are no divisions, there's no hidden things. And so really what, what I think James is saying is, do you have a pure heart, a, part that, a heart that is fully devoted and fully encompassed by God or have you surrounded your heart with this fatty tissue of material and the pursuit of wealth and you are finding satisfaction in that and that you are living in this luxury being deceived that you are on the verge of misery and destruction. 20 years ago, remember a story about two ladies, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards. And both of these ladies about 20 years ago died in, in the country of Cameroon. Ruby was just over 80 years old. She was single all her life, and she had poured out her life for one great thing. And that was to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura, on the other hand, was a widow, a medical doctor, 
who was also pushing 80, and she was serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. They, that day, they were driving a car, and the brakes went out. They went over a cliff, and they were gone, killed instantly. That same week, there was a, a, a story in Reader's Digest about a couple living the American dream. It was about a couple named Bob and Penny, and it said that they took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years before, when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. Now, I don't share that story with you saying that everyone has to up and go to Cameroon. <laughs> but there's a significant difference between the mindset and the posture of those two people, of those two groups. Last week, we talked about this, that our mission is to make disciples. Our window is limited, it's narrow, and our path is clear. Our path is set. If we really follow Jesus, then we would be taking the mission of discipleship seriously our whole life. If we follow Jesus, then we would recognize that our window, our space and time is very short. And if we were following Jesus, then we would recognize that our path is directed by the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Bible. My grandfather, who uh, was an incredible guy, and I remember they would, they would come visit us for a couple months every summer. They lived in Florida and we lived in Michigan. And so he and my grandmother would drive up from Florida in their trans van. I don't know if anybody remembers those, but um, I think they became very like hippie painted like over the years. But, but uh, he, they had this trans van and so they would drive up from Florida. They would visit us and stay with us for a couple months. And my grandmother retired from the postal service. My grandfather was a tool and die guy. And so they had enough. Their needs were met. They didn't go without. But my grandpa would always say to me, he said, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we sure had a lot of fun. And he had this perspective on life that life was always about the mission. Because my grandfather had all kinds of health issues throughout his life, and he was always in the hospital. But every time my grandfather was in the hospital, he led somebody to Christ, whether it was the roommate or a nurse or the doctor, everybody. He also said that when he was driving from Florida to Michigan in the fast lane in the trans van going under the speed limit that he thought people were so friendly because they would always pass and beep and, and wave. I was like, they're not waving. <laughs> but that's, that's a different story. <laughs> but I think about people and, and, and myself and, and where's my dependence and where's my loyalty and what am I doing? James makes this comment in verse six and he says, it sounds like he's saying greed leads to murder or the pursuit of wealth ends up in this really dark place. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And that is so reflective of the, the first century context where, where many of these rich people that James is speaking about, the practical outcome of their actions 
of defrauding and mistreating those who didn't have really anything and, and taking advantage of them is that those people would end up going with nothing and, and eventually starve to death. And really those people had no venue of resistance toward these other individuals. And so their, in a sense, their, their physical future was held in their hands. See, for us, it's, it's more subtle because when we are controlled by what we have, we are compelled to hold on to it at any cost, even the cost of people, oftentimes at the cost of people's eternal future. How often do I hold on to what I have or I pursue gain for myself that it ends up being off-putting to someone to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is my temporary pursuit in that moment worth the eternal direction of a person who's watching? And so that red flag number three question is this, is my highest value the image bearer's eternal location? Is my highest value people? Do I really value people the way God values people? Because God in his wisdom and love and his grace and his generosity, he came to save us. He came to save me. His highest value was, was in, in those that he gave his image. See, again, James is not saying wealth is wrong. In fact, in the kingdom of God, there are people of, of every economic success and failure. And that's a good thing, that there are people in different places in the kingdom of God because God uses that to, to, to grow us and to teach us in different ways. I don't know why God blesses some and he chooses to, to bless others in, in different ways. But what James is saying is that wealth is uncertain, unjust, and untrue when it comes to our hearts. When we pursue wealth in our hearts, we are pursuing uncertainty. We will end up living unjustly and we will live a life of falsehood that's untrue because we will think we are secure when we're not. James is saying wealth is one of the greatest challengers to humility and obedience to God's will. It is one of the greatest tests to the human condition and few have the character rooted deeply enough in Jesus Christ to handle it. Last week, I, I mentioned Deuteronomy chapter eight. And it's so interesting how that relates to what we're talking about today. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two, Moses writes, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. He's talked, this is a, this is the encouragement and conclusion and summary of, of the history of the Israelites from Egypt because they came out of Egypt carrying with them Egypt's wealth. They got to, to, the, to the base of Mount Sinai and Moses went up to, to, to receive God's commands. And while Moses was up there, the wealth of Egypt called to the Israelites. They said, where's Moses? Is he even alive? We were better off in Egypt. We have all of this wealth of Egypt. And they, 
they trusted and depended on their wealth. And so they took all of the gold and the silver and they, they made it into, they fashioned it into their own gods of their own making. And then they said, these gods, our wealth brought us out of Egypt. That is our savior and Lord and salvation. And then later, they didn't trust God. They trusted themselves and their wisdom by not going into the promised land where God said, I will lead you. I will protect you. They said, no, 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 we're dependent on our own wealth and our own ability to defend ourselves. We can't go in there. And so God had them wander for 40 years in the desert. And again, in Deuteronomy, he clarifies why he did that. It was so that they might be humbled and tested to know what was in their heart, that they would obey God even when it was scary. It says that when they were in the desert, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes held together. And every day, every day, God provided them with food to sustain them. God proved for 40 years to Israel that they must depend on him. But when they went, once they went into the promised land and they came out of the wilderness, they began to trust in wealth. And when you reach the prophets, Israel is fully trusting in their own ability and their own wealth. They didn't remember their years in the wilderness that God taught them humility, that testing came and they had no choice but to be obedient. You see, wealth takes direct aim at our humility and our obedience. Wealth challenges us to say, are you truly humble? And will you truly obey? The key to wealth that pleases God is humility. If you pursue humility first, you will please God with your wealth. And finally, the evidence of wealth that pleases God is obedience. No matter how much or little we have, the thing that is constant between us is that we are called to obey Jesus. Last week, we, we talked about whether or not we trust God with our future. This week, do we trust God with our present? Are we dependent on him in the midst of all the other offers that we have? My prayer for you is this, that, that you would see wherever you are and be able to evaluate and say, am I pursuing humility? And in the face of testing, am I obedient? Because if you're doing that, everything else falls into place. Everything else moves to transformation to be like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for your generous grace with us. God, no matter how many times I have pursued the wrong things and made my life about me, you have stuck with me and you have again shown your faithfulness. 
Father, I pray for us as a community that we would pursue humility, that we would, when tested, we would be proven to be humble and true through our obedience to you, no matter how hard it might be. God, that we would really question why we accumulate. God, that we would, we would look at what our gain costs. God, that we would truly value people and, and their eternity. God, more than we're drawn to what might be attractive and shiny in front of us. God, that like Ruby and Laura, we would live out our days to the very end pursuing intimacy with Jesus and being faithful to the mission that you've called us on. God, I thank you for our time together this morning and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.